Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Jesse Kelly, tonight at 6 on 710 WOR. Now the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Tuesday edition of Clay and Buck kicks off right now. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Appreciate you uh, hanging out with us. We have a bunch of big stories to get to today. Two grand juries are set to be impaneled in Atlanta, one of which is supposed to decide whether former President Trump faces criminal charges for uh, efforts to overturn the 2020 election. So we're going to be watching that. We could have, we've been saying all along, a Georgia-based indictment of Donald Trump to add to the various other indictments that are out there right now. New York, the Alvin Bragg, ultra-preposterous um, pay, uh, paying off Stormy Daniels and not disclosing on the forms or something. It's such a weak charge that it's hard to even really remember the specifics. Um, you have the documents case at Mar-a-Lago, uh, and that's actually a good place to tell you there's updates on that, too. The Trump legal team is asking for uh, lots of delays. We'll talk about some of the legal ins and outs of this. But basically, they're requesting in federal court in Florida uh, that they are going to be arguing over a whole range of things. A lot of motions, a lot of uh, the judge is going to have to look at things and make determinations. So Clay and I will talk to you about that in a little bit as well, because they may be able to push this thing till after the election, which could set up a Donald Trump wins the election or Donald Trump faces these federal criminal charges situation, which would be, pretty amazing i mean he's obviously going to pardon himself if he wins everything so then that goes away clay you're, are you you want to do this right now clay's fired up right now i got other things but you look like you want to hop in right this second well, i mean go i think it. we can talk about this a little bit later but I, I this is what i said i expected to happen and i i frankly would be surprised if this trial in miami or one in dc one that could actually put trump in prison goes to trial before the election the fort Pier- they've moved it to fort pierce now right from miami yeah yeah, yeah. south florida yeah. um I, and by, i don't think they'll get a conviction in south florida either uh so you can argue if trump are really rolling the dice that if he could get a hung jury or certainly an acquittal in that case uh which i think would be unlikely i think it'd be divided roughly 50 50 based on the jury pool and i think half of people would say he's guilty half would say he's not i think it would be impossible to get a conviction which to be fair, Trump would take as validation that these were completely political charges. So what the jury decided to do in the event this case went to trial would be significant. But what he is arguing is what I expected to be argued. It will be interesting to see what the judge does, and we can talk about it a little bit later. Uh, but at the earliest the trial would start is basically right before Christmas right now, I think is where they, they are hoping to do it. Um, I'll be 
I'll be stunned if this trial happens before the Republican nomination is decided at a minimum and and honestly before the election. It's uh, going to be very interesting. See what the judge says. This all de- de- depends, I think, on what emotion, what motions are allowed and emotions are allowed. Um, but we'll get into all of that a little bit more here coming up. Um, something else that, that is interesting is uh, in this moment, the Biden family, uh, notably Hunter Biden, is a huge liability uh, for the Democrat media because he's done so much stuff that is not only illegal and indefensible, even though he got the sweetheart deal, but also on top of all that, we recognize that he was uh, selling out his country effectively that's what hunter was doing he was selling access to china which for a lot of people would cause big problems with the law not for hunter biden but then you also have the joe biden you know the family's getting hit in a lot of places clay joe biden it has come out uh not only denies one of his grandchildren but was doing so explicitly on the orders of political aides who thought that this was an inconvenient thing for him which i actually completely disagree with this uh notion that uh, anyone in politics should have understood that on a forget about the ethics of it, Clay, just on an appearance level to deny a grandchild is is it, it's so grotesque. I mean, it's so weird, so off putting anyway. But the ladies of the view, the ladies of the view, or at least one of them trying to make the case that this is just the way it has to be because, Clay, we're weaponizing things against Hunter. We are weaponizing Hunter And that's the real problem. Play clip two. President Biden doesn't need to overstep his son. I like that part, but Mm -hmm. I don't know why they go out of their way to say six grandchildren or four kids. When my parents talk about me, they say, we love all our kids. We love our grandbabies. I've never seen them numerically repeat over and over. I like three kids. I like four of them. The reason that's happening is because the right wing, who again is weaponizing everything related to Hunter, keeps asking, so how many children do you have, Mr. Grandchildren do you have? Maybe Maureen Dowd should find something else to write about. Yeah, write about something else. I'm sorry. You know, these things are, for me, when you start talking about people's families and what yeah. they're doing, it's, I find it unnecessary. This is not anybody's business. Nobody needed to know about this. No. This is private. It's so stupid, Clay, it's hard to even know where to begin. I'm fired up about this, okay? Joe Biden makes his entire political identity that he is a loving father grandfather and they specifically say and instructed all white house staff to say we have six grandchildren and i want every single grandparent out there listening to me right now to ask yourself this question it actually isn't uncommon at all to ask how many grandchildren do you have that is actually one of the foundational questions that everyone of A grandparent-like age gets asked. I get asked, Buck. I have three kids all the time. If you're a parent, you get asked, how many kids do you have? And then once your kids are grown, you get asked, how many grandkids do you have? I was just in Chicago, Buck. Went to a wedding. Met a fantastic grandfather there. He was the grandfather of the groom. One of the first questions I asked him was, how many kids did you have? He had two. How many grandkids do you have? He has five. That is one of the first things you ask someone when you meet them about their family, and he's run specifically, Buck, this is where I'm so fired up about this, he's run specifically on being such a good guy, being such a great grandfather. Buck, I've got three boys, as I just said. If at some point in time those three boys grow up and they have a kid and I refuse to acknowledge one of their kids as my grandkid, it will be a failure of mine. Period. It will be. Now, you can say, well, the way that grandchild was uh, was created is different than the others. Yeah, right, because your son is a drug addict, but that's not the little girl's fault. That's not the and four-year-old living in Arkansas's fault. It also was, was not going to be something, I think the, the, the false, there's a lot of false analysis around this, a lot of nonsense, but it's not Joe Biden's fault if he has a grandkid who's out of wedlock. In fact, all it does is provide an opportunity for Joe Biden, as the president of the United States, who, as you rightly point out, has always pointed to his family and his, you know, paternal, his paternal love for Hunter is why we're supposed to stop asking questions. His role as a grandfather is why we're not supposed to criticize him for having dementia. Like, 
they're, they're, they're using this to their advantage. But this is a perfect opportunity for him to be like, look, folks, I'm a president, but I'm also a grandpa and this is my granddaughter. And, you know, and now he's doing that, which is what's so interesting because everyone realized the other thing that don't talk about this in public was just so gross. It showed such a lack of character. There are some things that a person should, you know, there's no excuse for and should never do a lot of things. But one of them would be to deny a grandchild in the final years of your, you know, in the twilight of your life. Because that's not my grandkid because it was out of wedlock. Really? Yeah. He's 80. This little girl's four. I want every single person out there to be able to meet their grandparents. I mean, that's a huge part, if you're fortunate enough to be able to do so, of being a child. Even if one of your grandparents happens to be estranged from the family, it's still a big deal. Buck, how often now do we see people going to 23andMe or Ancestry.com because they're desperately seeking a connection with their family, even if they're adopted, right? A lot of, I bet there's a ton of adopted people out there listening to us right now who had to make that choice. Hey, do I want to know who my natural birth parents are? Do I want to have a relationship as an adult with people that I didn't know when I was a child? Maybe you even find out that you have relatives you didn't know that you had. This is, I think, something that many people grapple with on a regular basis. But the other thing is here, they barred this little girl from being able to use the last name Biden. Yes. Which is, I mean, I mean, this continues. It's not like they've really decided to embrace, you know, some some uh, Christian love super, and values here. In this case. Now, she may not, when she becomes older, want to have the name Biden. She may decide, hey, my mom stood by me. I want to have my mom's name. But the idea that you would bar, as part of a settlement agreement, a four-year-old child from ever being able to take the name of its father is also incredibly insulting to me. And it goes to Joe Biden's character. I think this is very important. Well, that's why it's so significant, because... No one has really, no one makes the case. Joe Biden, you, you don't hear this. Joe Biden's so smart. Even the most, you know, ardent Democrat partisan, they don't walk around saying, you know who's really, really smart? That Joe Biden guy. That guy is a genius. I mean, maybe you'll hear some clowns say it, but generally speaking, the whole premise of Biden as a politician who has been foisted on America is that he's a good guy. He's somebody who has a, he's kind and has a solid moral core. And I've been saying there is no evidence of, of this in his public life at all. In fact, the evidence is all to the contrary. But this moment in time, it goes to the fundamental narrative of Biden and shows that it's a lie. It has political consequences, Clay, which is why the left, the Democrats, a little rattled about this one because they're going to try to fool independents again into thinking Joe Biden's, you know, he's a normal, good guy. He's a he's a kindly old grandpa. Really? Not so much. I'd like to hear from grandparents out there. 800-282-2882. When you hear the view people say, nobody really talks about how many grandchildren you have. That's all I hear. I, I think a huge part of being a grandparent is how many grandchildren you have. It's something you take immense pride in. And Buck, t- remember, they fought to keep this kid from using the name Biden. They denied the parental legitimacy of this child to the point they had to go through all of the DNA testing and everything else. All Joe Biden had to do, Buck, all he had to do, all he and Dr. Jill had to do was just say we have seven grandchildren. And this wouldn't have turned into a huge story because I don't think, to Whoopi Goldberg's point, I don't think people would have been pouring through the specifics if Hunter pays uh, his child support. And if Joe Biden acknowledges that they have a seventh child, even if it's an out-of-wedlock relationship, I don't think people are going to be pouring through all of the dirty details of the family history as it pertains to her parental lineage. It's the fact that he denied her and refused to admit the truth, which was he has seven grandchildren. And I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's I think it's worth reminding so everybody. Insulting. There's nothing that Joe Biden won't lie about while pretending to be this honorable, ethical guy. There's nothing that it's it, and it's not salesmanship. It's not, you know, uh, braggadocio, as you might see in some other politicians that we like here. Um, he will lie about the most core and fundamental things. And he, he said that he ran for president in 2020 because of the Trump good people on both sides speech, for example. Yes. I mean, that's just 
he's just being an insidious liar. He knows that that's not what Trump was actually saying. I, I but... actually, to be fair to him, I think he's so dumb, he might actually not know the truth. Like, he might still believe that Trump really said the very fine people thing. Well, this is when people say to me, do you think he's being, is he being, uh, you know, cynical and and immoral, or is he just senile and doesn't know what's going on? And the answer is always tough to tell. Tough call. The, you know? We know it's the a, answer on the grandparents. He knows he oh, has yeah. seven grandkids. Like, this is a direct targeted attack upon the legitimacy of one of his grandchildren, which goes to the very essence of his character and fitness, which he claims particularly justifies him that, uniquely to be president. Can I just, if, if Don Jr. or Eric had an illegitimate child with a stripper that he then, you know, one of them refused to pay child support for, and refused to even admit it was their child, I don't think any of the ladies in the view would be like, talk about something else. This isn't even a story. Yeah, and if Trump denied so. the grandchild existed, it would be front-page news, and it would have been for months. I mean, there's zero doubt. I mean, again, all this stuff. I mean, the cocaine story's kind of vanished, but if there had been cocaine found in the Trump White House, and they had said where it was found, and then said, oh, we have no idea who did it, it would be a direct attack upon our nation's democratic processes that we don't know who had the cocaine. Now everybody seems like by Monday are just like, oh, we don't care. Yeah. Almost like they're really dishonest and it doesn't matter what we find out and what comes to light. We'll get more into this in a moment. Clay put out the call for some grandparents. We want grandparents to weigh in on this one. 800-282-2882. You might want to pay close attention to the uh, words of former Wall Street insider Tika Tiwari. He believes our federal government could soon announce a mandatory national recall recall on the U.S. dollar. Those would be replaced with a new digital version that will be radically different from what you have in your bank account right now. Tika Tiwari is warning that the official announcement could come as soon as two weeks from now on July 26th. He's exposing this government plan in a controversial new video and showing you the three steps you need to take to prepare now. Go to dollarrecall.com to watch this video. Likely some in our government don't want you to see this video, so you should definitely go check it out. That's dollarrecall.com. Learn how to prepare before it's too late. Your savings account could depend on it. One more time, that's dollarrecall.com, paid for by Palm Beach Research Group. The torch of truth, past and still lit every day. The Clay, Travis, and Buck Sexton Show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong strong and getty show to start listening more than a movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies i'm your host alex fumero and each week i'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies from the godfather andy garcia he has the smarts of Vito, the temper of sunny the warmth of fredo and the coldness of michael to the og spy kid alexa penavega you had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to more than a movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes 
to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Clay and Buck, 800-282-2882. You may have heard about, caught a glimpse of some of the back and forth between two of the richest uh, men in the world, um, uh, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, and things are, are heating up. I... I do think that there were some things that even got said or written publicly that I don't know if we have or should say on the radio, but they're they're definitely um, going after each other. Well, Elon, at least, is going after Mark Zuckerberg. One thing I think is interesting, Clay, is you know that Twitter has to be doing something right, and I think it matters for the 2024 election. I think that will be, when I look at things that are more favorable to the Republicans this time around than they were in 2020, that I think we can reliably have at least one social media platform that will not just be a tool of the Democrats. Uh, I know there are others. There are a lot that are still going to be aligned against the Republican Party, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. But what happened to the New York Post story about the laptop, for example, that can't happen the same way when you have an open and and not to leave out rumble and truth. And there are some others that I think, um, but they just don't have the same critical mass that Twitter does. I do think it's very interesting um, that the left is so upset, is very upset about this. And in fact, I don't know, Clay, are we going to be able to continue to tweet knowing that uh, joy Reid, for example, very upset about what's going on with all this free speech. Play clip five. Twitter might be on the slow road to obscurity as Mark Zuckerberg's rival app Threads has surpassed 100 million users in only five days. Meanwhile, Twitter users are mostly left with a ranting and raving Elon Musk and lots and lots of racists. It does feel like, okay, I'm just going to give you myself as an example. I'm somebody who I stopped using Twitter quite a long time ago. I don't tweet. I don't want to give Elon any content. Threads, since that has launched, to me, there's no reason to check Twitter anymore. All of the major, you know, battle blogs on there, the Washington Post is on there. All of the stuff I would normally read, I can aggregate it on threads. Twitter now is useless to me. If people like me are leaving, I don't know how Twitter survives. <laughs> I think Twitter's going to survive, Clay. Uh, and I also think it's fascinating. Oh, there, so there are no racists on Facebook. That's an interesting. That's an interesting take that she threw in there, too. All the racists are on Twitter. I can honestly say this. Um I have no idea what people say about me on Facebook. I have no idea what people say about me on TikTok. I have no idea what people say about me on Instagram. I have no idea what people say about me on threads or uh, any of these other outlets, right? Because Twitter is where the news comes from. So if people take a shot at me, like Mark Cuban wants to come after me, I see it on Twitter. If he goes on threads and takes a shot at me, somebody's going to have to screenshot it, DM it to me. I think this is the challenge Trump has had in general with Truth Social. And, Buck, somebody sent me something recently. They were like, you're getting ripped to shreds on Reddit for something I said. I was like, why do I care? Right? Like, I I, I mean, I don't even, I I don't go on Reddit. I, I don't care if people on message boards have opinions. This reminds me. Uh, back in the day when I was full-time sports buck, all the message boards are super popular. And every now and then somebody would send me an email and they're like, hey, you have no idea what they're saying about you right now on Hog Haven or Crimson Cornucopia or whatever it's called is fired up about you. There are mean comments on a message. Like, so what do I care? It well, doesn't also say me in any way. Good. Meaning if yeah. people want to yeah. you know, sound off on different platforms... We believe in free speech. The, the fundamental issue has become the Democrat Party does not believe in free speech. Yes. It, it, in the most most clear and basic ways. They do not. And they'll say, oh, what about fire in a crowded theater? And they don't even know that that's, that's a Supreme Court case that was wrongly decided in favor of throwing a socialist anti-war activist in prison for distributing pamphlets against the First World War. They have no idea what they're talking about. Point is... They really do believe now that uh, if something is 
problematic politically or even emotionally for Democrats. It should be uh, shut down as much as possible, including through government action. And that's the part of that. That's why that court case, Missouri v. Biden, matters so much because they they don't feel chastened. Uh, they, they don't feel at all embarrassed that this White House was actively suppressing people. Right. I mean, was actively using the power of social media to shut down particularly election and covid stuff the covid stuff they were wrong about all of it the election stuff you know depends on what we're talking about um and yet clay they have no there's no shame for them in being censors this is what their team has decided which is why they hate twitter so much they hate twitter because we haven't seen it censoring the right the way that all the other social media platforms have for about the last decade Now, the one thing that I do think is interesting, Buck, is if there actually ended up being a more splintered universe of social media, I think what might end up happening is the media's job becomes more difficult because they can cover controversies that erupt on Twitter easily. Have you ever seen a controversy erupt on LinkedIn? I'm just asking. Like, I signed up for LinkedIn 20 years ago. I don't know what my password is. Somehow I still get emails about it. I know people post things on LinkedIn. Uh, I, the media, 95% of their stories originate from Twitter. I, I, I have to say, I've, have you had the experience where someone finally gets to you on Twitter or email and they're like, why don't you respond? And you're like, what, what are you talking about? They're like, I sent you a LinkedIn message, and you look, you have some LinkedIn message from five years ago. Like, I don't know. I don't Unless you're looking for a job, I don't know anyone who's checking their LinkedIn messages. I don't even know how to log into LinkedIn. So, yeah, there's probably a thousand messages that have stacked up there over the last decade. And, yeah, it's really funny. I, people are like, hey, I sent you eight LinkedIn's, and you didn't respond. It's like, yeah, it's probably sent me eight MySpaces, too. My point on it is... I actually wonder if Twitter wasn't the centrality of the locus for the media ecosystem. I don't think that threads is going to become it. I think it just becomes so diffuse that there's nothing there. And I would submit, I'm curious if you would agree, the reason why Twitter has some cogency is because of different opinions. Echo chambers aren't entertaining to visit. The idea that somebody might get piled on for doing something stupid or that two people could have legitimately different opinions and go head-to-head in a 280-character debate at a time, it's a bit stupid, but conflict draws eyeballs, right? If you watch any television show, it doesn't begin and they lived happily ever after. There is a conflict somewhere, a protagonist and an antagonist, that is necessary to draw attention. If you just create a left-wing echo chamber, it doesn't work as a platform. Instagram works. Why does it work, Buck? Because people like looking at hot chicks. If you took away, if, if Mark Zuckerberg came out tomorrow and said, hey, from this point forward, only women will be featured in burkas, Instagram would cease to exist overnight. Instagram is basically a place where hot chicks post photos, and that's why the entire app works. It's like Stuff Magazine, Playboy, Maxim all rolled into one. I have a lot of puppies and steak cooking on my Instagram. Look, when I go into videos, I see only Family Feud, uh, uh, like my real section. I see, I love Steve Harvey. All I get is Family Feud, uh, like uh, funny answers, right? My wife makes fun of me. Because at bedtime, I'll scroll through and just watch silly uh, family feud answers. That's what pops up on my Instagram. But if they took away hot chicks, Instagram would cease to exist tomorrow. Instagram doesn't exist, my point is, as a mechanism for conflict. Twitter exists for conflict, okay? Can, can I say that? that, it's an echo chamber. It ceases to have any power. Have you, have you noticed that, I mean, I remember, uh, especially back in the day, um, getting like dragged on twitter and what you realize is that if you were on the right i mean i'm not sure well you probably had this with sports but you would get all of a sudden you'd be like wait i have a we're all my you would just be getting pummeled from all sides and you'd realize oh i'm limited like i'm shadow banned so my people can't see anything but left-wing lunatics all over the internet can pile on ceaselessly i don't see these pile-ons any no not just me in general 
I don't see these pylons anymore, which goes to what we've learned about Twitter, which is that it was a rigged Thunderdome where conservatives in particular, all of a sudden something got controversial, your reach would get shut down and then you'd get ratioed by the left-wing lunatic brigade saying whatever they want, I mean, threatening to kill you and me being completely insane, and the Twitter employees were all, this is great, more of this. And that was actually happening there. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. I also think the whole trending thing, people have recognized that on some level, I mean, it's kind of just free advertising. Uh, what, what are you going to do? You're gonna, it, I can't imagine a scenario where because of something that I tweet that I'm not allowed to come on the radio or I'm not allowed to go on television. I mean, it would have to be, I've been on Twitter since 2009. My opinions are all out there. It would have to be like some act of violence almost for me where I would lose a job, right? In other words, cancel culture has lost much of its power if you come through on the other side of cancel culture. And I think both you and I have uh, in 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 many ways, um, but I just I don't buy into this idea that, and and I would say this the same thing for Truth Social or Gab or uh, Parlor. They tried to create a conservative version of Twitter, and none of them really worked because that's Twitter was where the conversation was. I don't think Threads is suddenly going to create a liberal conversation. It's not going to work long term. Look, we're saving you from a lot of stress when we suggest you start a new process backing up your computer data with our friends at iDrive. If you're already backing up all the data and photos on your computer, good for you. Just don't rely on one backup. It's always good to have more than one. iDrive does the best job of making this easy to do while you're using your computer in the course of your everyday activities. I talked with you guys about this. Uh, I've got a new book coming out in a little bit less than a month. At one point, I was terrified that I had lost my book on the laptop. I'm not that technologically savant. I'm not very good at backing things up. If you've ever thought that you lost something on a computer, and I bet it's happened to almost everybody out there, it's a sick feeling, particularly if you put time and effort and energy into trying to save it. Relying on your laptop enough uh, alone is not enough. You need iDrive. It'll safely store your data on their secure servers. Only you can access with an encrypted key. It's a password. They've got military-grade encryption protocol, making your data very secure. Not to mention iDrive PC MagWinner, eight years in a row, has the best cloud backup solution for everyone, consumers, and businesses. iDrive is the easiest, most secure cloud backup solution. Plans start at less than $7 a month. Use my name as the promo code at checkout for 90% off that for the first year. That's iDrive.com. I is in the letter iDrive. Geek out with the guys on the Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck podcast. A new episode every Sunday. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Joined now by Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Uh, He is uh, continuing to make the Commonwealth of Virginia a state that many people, especially if you are sane, uh, are enjoying living in, particularly given how many crazy blue state governors there are all over the place. So we appreciate the governor joining us right now. And I got to ask you right off the top, given the success that you've had in Virginia, given the success you've had endorsing candidates who have also won in Virginia, are you 100% taking yourself out of running for president in 2024, or are you still open to the idea? So, first of all, I'm just so thrilled to be with you guys, and I always enjoy being on the Buck and Clay show, so thank you. And uh, first of all, and then second of all, I want to thank you for the accolades about the Commonwealth, and we are cooking. I am so pleased. Um, you know, we've had, we've had tremendous economic growth. We've got 175,000 more people working today than when we started. When we started, Virginia was 47th in the nation in job recovery coming out of the pandemic, and now we're in the top five. Um, we have invested in choice in public schools. We've backed the blue. We've made uh, government more efficient. We saved $1.2 billion in appropriated money that didn't need to be spent in the first six months. And I guess what I'm saying is that, that there's room for common sense, conservative leadership in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and it works, and it works. And, and so, and, and so to, your, to your question specifically, I, I am so humbled by the fact that you would even ask it. I mean, literally, literally at the end of the day, uh, 40 years ago, I was washing dishes and taking out trash at a diner in Virginia Beach. And, 
And I've only been doing this for 18 months. And so the fact that I think people are recognizing what's going on in Virginia is really encouraging. I mean, we we did take a, a blue state and and, uh, and and start the process of turning it red with our election and uh, with winning our statewide races with me and Winsome Sears and Jason Miaras and taking back our house. Um, but our Senate is still out there. And, and that's why I am uh, laser focused and only focused on Virginia. And our elections this year are so critical. Uh, we have got to hold our house and we've got to flip our Senate. They're the midterms where I think our record will be put to the ballot. I'm, I am excited about that process. We've got great candidates. Um, I'm laser focused on winning this year, and everybody in Virginia is focused on making sure we continue to do all the great things that we are doing, because what you said at the beginning was spot on. We, for the first time in nine years, are seeing early data that suggests that there's more people moving to Virginia than moving away. That breaks, that breaks a nine-year run where there were more people moving away than moving here from the other states. And, and this net migration of people voting with, literally voting with their feet, I want to stay in Virginia. I want to come to Virginia. I mean, we, we haven't heard a no yet, Governor, yeah, so that, is it fair to say? Gonna, that's what I was going to go with here. Buck just pointed out, we haven't heard a no yet. You're a sports guy. I think your dad played at Duke. You played at Rice. Right now, that answer, Governor, sounds like when a coach is having a lot of success at a smaller school – and his name's getting rumored for a bigger job, and the coach says, boy, I really love it here. You know, we're going to talk to Tommy Tuberville. He once said, uh, Governor, that he was not he was only going to leave Oxford, Mississippi in a pine box, and then the next year he left and took the Auburn job uh, in the SEC. So you sound to me like a coach who's saying, hey, I really like where I am right now, but you're not saying you're going to be there forever. Well, let me be clear. I never got a promotion in my business career without doing a great job in the one that I had. And I love being governor in Virginia, and we've got a lot of work to do, and I want to deliver for Virginians. Governor Glenn Youngkin with us right now of Virginia. Um, and uh, one of the things we get asked about a lot here, uh, sir, is um, election integrity issues and and just also the machinery that has to be in place to replicate, I mean, you just said it there, and the facts speak for themselves. Virginia is experiencing a bit of a conservative renaissance right now, but that's only possible because you're getting the right votes in the right places at the right time. How do you see what you've done in that state perhaps playing out in, in other key states in the 2024 election? And just how do you view the issue of election integrity more broadly? Well, well let me begin with uh, the elections in Virginia are secure and safe. There's uh, a paper ballot um, for every voter, and we have counting machines, um, not voting machines. And so I, we, we have clear audits that demonstrate that, that uh, our elections are safe. What we are doing this year is critically important. Because we are having the midterms in Virginia this year where our entire House and our entire Senate is up, and I have a split legislature. As I said, I brought the House when we were, when we were hired back in 2021, um, but the Senate wasn't, wasn't on the ballot, and this year it is. And so we have launched today a, a huge initiative called SecureYourVoteVirginia.com, where we are, we are asking Republicans to get off the sidelines and embrace absentee voting, embrace early voting. Come to this website and register to be on the permanent absentee ballot list or register to get, an, to get an absentee ballot or to just make a plan to vote early because I'm so tired of us being down thousands of votes and when we go into election day, when we in fact should be winning. And so we've got to get everybody's votes secured and counted. This is a giant uh, effort for us across the Commonwealth of Virginia. I think this can be a blueprint for, for next year, but right now we're going to prove that it works in the Commonwealth. SecureYourVoteVirginia.com. Make a plan to vote early. Register to get an absentee ballot if you're not going to be here so that we can stop being behind thousands of votes on Election Day. If Trump runs against Joe Biden again in 2024, let's pretend that's the, that's the race. Do you think as Trump's vice president, you could deliver Virginia to the red camp like you did for the governor's race? Or do you think Trump is going to have a hard time winning Virginia or other states? In other words, when you look at that calculus, you just laid out. I mean, you're a quant guy. Like, you you worked in business. You're looking and saying, hey, we need more votes in. We've got to go out and get way more aggressive on early voting. I'm sure you looked at the data. 
Heck, uh, uh, Democrats managed to elect John Fetterman, and he can't even speak. I mean, he can't do the job, and he just won a toss-up state. Can Trump win in 2024? If you're on the ticket, either as president or vice president, do you think you could deliver Virginia to the Republican Party? Well, first of all, uh, thank you for that really complimentary hypothetical. And and I just got to back up. I believe, first of all, in 2023, we can repeat what we did in 2021, um, what, which is connect with voters around common sense, uh, conservative solutions to the most important issues and bring everybody together around voting for change. And that's what we did in Virginia. I think that's where the nation's going to be in 2024. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen Joe Biden completely mess up the country. Um, we have we have a porous border that is causing a humanitarian crisis, a fentanyl crisis, a national security crisis. Um, we've been so weak internationally that now the Chinese um, literally scoff at us when they're engaged in any kind of interaction with us. And our economy has been a disaster where I can't I can't believe that the White House doesn't fully appreciate what their own economic advisors will tell them, which is when you unleash reckless spending, it drives inflation. It's the number one issue that we hear from voters in Virginia is they're concerned about their economic future. They're concerned about inflation. And so that's why in Virginia, what we did in 2021, and we will do it again this year in 2023, is, is demonstrate that voters, not just Republicans, but independents and a lot of Democrats, come together around these issues because they want solutions, they want results. And that's what I think we've delivered in Virginia, and I'm looking forward to demonstrating again this November that we can bring people together around these topics because solutions matter. But could you deliver Virginia as Trump's VP, sir, in 2024, theoretically, hypothetically? Well, as you know, I don't, I don't really play the hypothetical games, but I, ah. think the Repu- I think the Republican nominee will win Virginia in 2024. There we go. Oh. Because that, that's key, because if that were to happen, Governor, the Republican is going to win the White House, right? If you flip Virginia, the math doesn't work for Democrats, which is why your state's so significant. That's big. Well, Republicans think, you know, can win. Again, let me, let me, let me go back and, and just reiterate. The key here is voters have to have confidence that their elected officials are going to deliver results for them. And the bottom line is, voters in Virginia, what I learned in 2021 is that when we deliver results... They reward us. You know, and what we've seen, of course, is that the, the left liberals continue to put up roadblocks. I mean, just, just to get specific on you, um, we've gotten a lot done in Virginia, but I have a Senate that's controlled by liberal Democrats, and they put up roadblocks. And just this past year, uh, they, they blocked bills that would charge dealers that deal drugs that kill people with, with a felony homicide. They chose dealers over, over victims. They blocked a bill that would restrict big tech's ability to, to gather data on minors. And they, so they chose big tech and social media over kids. They blocked a bill that would unwind something that was done in our last legislature under Democrat rule that allowed California to dictate what cars Virginians buy. And, of course, they're standing in the way of our efforts to continue to reduce and cut taxes so we can reduce the cost of living and make Virginia a much more affordable place to be. These are common sense things. And at the end of the day, we've got to recognize that there's common sense conservative values that can be translated into policies and into governing that deliver results. That's what voters want. That's the key. Deliver results that in fact make people people's lives better. I think that's what we're doing in Virginia, and that's why this election this year is so important for us. I think we can hold our House. I think we can flip our Senate. And in a 24-month period, we can demonstrate that a state that was really lost, it was viewed as being only Democrat-run and, and reliably Democrat, all of a sudden has become a state that is not only in, in play, but one that has taken a full shift with with Republicans elected at the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general level, holding holding our House and flipping our Senate. I think this is a big year for us. Governor Youngkin of Virginia. Sir, what's that website again for the voting initiative? SecureYourVoteVirginia.com. Come to it. Make a plan so that you can vote early this year. We start on September the 22nd. It is secure. It is safe. You can track your ballot so you know that your ballot is the one that's getting getting submitted and counted. 
And uh, this is the way we're going to make sure that we're not down thousands of votes on Election Day. Governor Youngkin, thanks for being with us here on Clay and Buck. Appreciate it, sir. Guys, always great to be with you, and I just appreciate all you do. Thank you, sir. My friends, if you're a gun owner like I am, I also want you to join me in being a Mantis X owner. Mantis X is a firearms training system. It's no ammo. It's all electronic. Look, I, I just had this recently. I had a rain day. I was out at the range, so uh, I only got a, I, we didn't get to long guns. I only got to use handguns, but at least we got the handgun shooting in. But you know what? I was more on target than I would have been otherwise. You know why? Because I have the Mantis X system at home. I can't get to the range that often. I try to get a couple times a month. But with Mantis X, my trigger pull, my overall technique is getting better all the time at home. Just sitting here in my office doing radio. What? Well, not while I'm doing radio, but, you know, in the radio room. The Mantis X is phenomenal. It attaches to your firearm like a weapon light. So then you connect your smartphone with the Mantis X app. And you're going to get real-time, data-driven feedback on your technique. You have drills and courses that once you start getting into them, I'm telling you, it's kind of addictive because you keep seeing yourself getting better. 94% of people using the Mantis X system improve their shooting within 20 minutes' time. The Mantis X is a must-have for every gun owner. It's also a great gift for the gun owner in your life. You know, husband, wife, get the Mantis X. It'll improve your shooting accuracy. MantisX.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X.com. Subscribe to CNB 24-7 and never miss a minute of Clay and Buck while getting behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Republican Eyes Sweet Home for New FBI Headquarters in Alabama. Headline right now up on the Wall Street Journal talking about how House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan of Ohio has accused the Bureau of, well, all the stuff against Trump and uh, says that he wants to strip the funding for the Bureau unless it relocates to the mid-sized Alabama city of Huntsville, which is about 700 miles by, uh, well, as I was going to say, as the crow flies, 700-mile drive from the nation's capital. Uh, I actually think that this is 
this is something that should be explored more. No one really believes that it's likely to happen this time around, but I do think, Clay, people need to understand Washington, D.C. As everyone has already pointed out a million times, not only do we call it the swamp, it, it is a swamp, uh, as, as in its geography, but it, it because of what D.C. has become politically, it's as though we have the seat of the federal government. You might as well have it in uh, in San Francisco or have it in Brooklyn, New York, which is a even for New York City standards, a Democrat stronghold. And I think that it does affect um, the attitude of the place. I think it does affect the kinds of people that want to go work for the federal government. Um, I know a lot of people that don't. They they didn't want to go work in D.C. because they didn't want to live in the communist district of Columbia, and so they have problems with it on on that level. Uh, is there a different city though that you I I've you've you've been to Huntsville? I've never been I to love, Huntsville. Huntsville I is to me, oh I I think Huntsville's a fabulous place. If you told me what did you say the population of Huntsville was? You looked it up, or you did seventy five thousand? I would guess a fifty something like that. Fifty yeah, eight thousand so. sixty like. Um, if you told me that I had to live in a, and it may, I'd probably 200, 200,000. Okay. And that's being defined just so you know, Buck, I'm sure very expansively, like grabbing the entire Northern Alabama region. If you told me that I had to live in a city with under 250,000 people in it, Huntsville, Alabama would be near the very top of my list. And I'm saying that I don't even know if we're on in Huntsville. Uh, if we're on in Huntsville, I'm probably going to get blown up in a very positive way here. It's beautiful. Uh, it's uh, Obviously, for those of you who haven't been, uh, there are tons of legitimate rocket scientists there. Lots of very smart people. Great schools. Beautiful, fabulous location. You're not far from Nashville. It's a relatively easy drive. You're not far from Birmingham. You're closer to the beach. I think it's the best part of Alabama, that northern Alabama, most beautiful part. Now, Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, love it on the coast. Uh, but I, I think northern, uh, I, I love this idea. I think if you took the FBI out of, um, out of DC, it would make a big difference. And I'll give you an, an analogy, Buck. When I started Outkick, uh, in 2011, a lot of people said, Hey, if you're going to have a media company, you have to base it in New York or LA. And the first several years that I had a media company and tried to run it from Nashville, people would say you could ne- you're never going to be taken seriously as a media company if you're based in Nashville. I think the reason that I stayed in Nashville and didn't go to New York or L.A. is why I had success. Because I was writing for people primarily in the Big Ten and the SEC and the Big 12, so-called flyover country. And I think if you go to the coasts, you get locked into that coastal mentality. And I know a lot of you are listening on the East and West Coast, and you love it there, and we appreciate you listening. But I bet if you spent any time in the center part of the country, you know what I'm talking about. It's easy to lose touch with reality and think that what feels normal in New York and L.A. is what's normal in the rest of the country. I think that's what happened to Bud Light. And I believe if you put FBI agents in the heartland, in the middle part of the country, I think it would change the culture of the FBI dramatically. I think it would change the quality of person that was willing to go there because I think it would be people who are committed to the institution as opposed to being committed to, oh, I want to live in Washington, D.C. I love this. Do we like Jim Jordan? He's fantastic. We've had him on the show for a long time. I love Jim Jordan. I think this is a brilliant idea. I think it should be considered for a whole range of of institutions. I'd also note that the the basic concept of co-locating so much of the federal government bureaucracy with each other goes back to when you had to actually walk over and talk to certain people like physically to have a conversation with zoom now never mind just uh telephonics there's really no communication-based reason for everyone to necessarily be co-located in dc and i i i think it makes a lot of sense i think that uh separating it out and no longer having it, you know, this also factors into uh, you, you see the way that D.C. culture, I think, influences these institutions. Um, and that just means that you're in the most Democrat. I mean, how is it that the seat of the federal government is in the most heavily Democrat large city or, you know, bigger than half a million in the entire country? I think it's now more 
I don't know, maybe San Francisco is a couple of points ahead, but it's basically San Fran and D.C., the most left-wing cities in America, and one of them is the seat of the entire federal government. That that seems like a... Uh, and not just the federal government. I'm not saying we have to move the White House, but all these agencies, why do they all have to be there? Here's a good question for you, speaking of agencies. You were in the CIA. We had Glenn Youngkin on. You said you liked Langley, Northern Virginia. How much difference do you think the culture of the CIA would be if it were located in Omaha, Nebraska? Oh, I, I think it would change pretty pretty dramatically. Um, you have a lot of there's a, there's definitely a feeling whether you're working at the State Department, CIA, you get a lot of the northeastern Acela corridor people who who want to work there. And look, I mean, I'm I grew up in New York. I suppose I'm I'm one of them. Um, I think it would change pretty rapidly in terms of the overall applicants that you'd have to some of these places. Uh, but Northern Virginia is really a D- Northern Virginia is really Washington D.C. extended. Uh, when you yep. go to uh, Arlington, as you well know from living there. Arlington is to D.C. as Manhattan is to Brooklyn, and they're separated by a river, but it really feels like it's exactly the same culture and politics. Uh, when I used to go visit family in and around Charlottesville, Charlottesville to me felt like Virginia, although I know it's probably pretty Democrat now, too, but at least it felt like Virginia. You're yeah. up in Arlington just across the river from uh, from D.C., and you're basically in extended D.C., I've made that drive through Virginia so many times on 81. For those of you who have driven ever Nashville, and then you take 81 and you take it on up, I think, to 66, if I'm remembering correctly, if you drive across all of Virginia. And it's amazing how different Virginia is as an entire state until you get to about an hour outside of D.C. And then the entire place changes. Um, And you can see why the battle for winning in Virginia is – Limit the Northern Virginia loss, right? How much are you going to lose in that highly populated area? Run up huge margins everywhere else. A bunch of you letting us know. We are on in Huntsville, Alabama, Buck. So shout out WBHPAM. That is our affiliate in Huntsville. I bet we have a monster audience in Huntsville, Alabama. So it's a fabulous town. I'm in favor of uh let's put that on the front page if the huntsville still has a newspaper because i think they stopped printing pretty much every newspaper in alabama uh put that on the front page clay and buck endorse fbi moving to huntsville alabama hope the folks of huntsville huntsville want the fbi to move they may they may not want the fbi base there but well anyway. that, that, that could be uh, they, they may not want the biden fbi uh That's i don't want them, i don't want them in nashville i'll tell you that uh clay you want to tell us about uh, the latest we come back with uh Megan Rapino yes. and some of the ESPN folks who are actually coming out against having a transgender athlete, soccer player. The whole thing is nuts, but this is where we are. We'll talk about it here when we come back in just a second. All right, every day, thousands of unborn babies in our nation are at risk because of abortion clinics and something that's commonly referred to as the abortion pill. But one organization is doing their very best to save the lives of unborn children, preborn. Each day, they save an average of 200 unborn children. Preborn is the largest pro-life ministry in the country. They provide free ultrasounds to women in crisis. Not only do they save lives, but also souls. This is a nonprofit organization not receiving a dollar of federal funds. Their support comes from you and me, the pro-life community. Will you stand with preborn? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. To donate, use your cell phone and dial pound 250. Say the keyword baby. That's pound 250. Say baby to be connected with the preborn team. Or donate securely online at preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. Sponsored by Preborn. Download and use the new Clay and Buck app. Listen to the program live. Catch up on any part of the show you might have missed. Use your CND 24-7 subscription to get access to the guys. Find the Clay and Buck app in your app store and make it part of your day. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Avito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. 
Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.